A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and brought to you for once, not from the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club, because David and I are in our respective homes, me in London and David in, well, sunny Birmingham. David, is it sunny? I'd go as far as to say glorious, glorious. This is is the sort of thing that, that people on the weather forecasts just call a heat wave and newspaper headlines call it scorcher. Yes, for once the weather is front page news, which is nice to see. And it has been a glorious weekend of sport. Uh, Davis Cup tennis has played a very significant part of that. But what a weekend of sport, uh, for one thing, it was with, you know, the Open Golf, the Test match at Lords. There was drama in the Tour de France with Chris Froome walking part of the stage. I mean, it's just been the most fantastic advertisement for sport over the past few days and it's fantastic that the Davis Cup has played such a big part in that. Uh, We, being the biased British people that we are, are going to deal with the GB Serbia tie first Uh, and I think that's deserved because uh, it was a fantastic tie and in particular a a fantastic tie for Mr Kyle Edmund. Wasn't he good? I remember when we were up in Glasgow, David, for the semi-final last year against Australia and there was talk about whether or not Kyle Edmund he was named in in the team but he actually didn't end up playing any of those matches in that tie and there was there was talk potentially of him being put forward and and the word was that he just wasn't ready for it mentally he wasn't ready for the pressure he was getting very stressed out by it well how if that is the case and those were just you know rumors behind the scenes what a remarkable transformation development it has been then for Kyle Edmund over the past what nine months because he was solid as a rock yesterday barring that one wobble when he served out for the match which he more than rectified in that tie break he had a sensational tie didn't he thing is uh, i i think his game has come on in leaps and bounds over the last 18 months anyway but i think i think what you've just said is is bang on in terms of his personal maturity i i think he has just just become a man in that space of time, an adult, and he can deal with situations now. I, I think he was overwhelmed a year ago or just over a year ago in that situation. And funnily enough, when he was uh, asked about Kyle Edmund, Janko Tipsarevic said on the eve of this tournament that he looks about 12 years old, Kyle Edmund. And he does have that sort of boyish look, obviously fair hair and fair skin and so forth as well. But he didn't play like that. He didn't play like that at all. He was bossing both of the matches that he played against good players. Obviously, a former top 10 player not playing anything like as well in Tip Saravich, who doesn't like those sort of heavy, cloy, 
cloyed sort of clay court conditions, but he managed to get through that comfortably, did Edmund. And then in the, the, the reverse singles match against Lajevic, who, who really played well against a, a woefully out of sorts, James Ward, um, he, he dominated him as well. So this this guy can play on clay. I mean, if, if he played Andy Murray on clay, I think it would be a really close match because... He he just looks more and more like Jim Courier as a tennis player every time I see him. He just masters the, the centre of the court, hitting those inside-out forehands and then having the ability to go the other way as well, then camping himself out in the backhand corner to hit those diagonal inside-out forehands. And he's a formidable foe on, on clay. And, and I think the way he stood up after being broken back in that third set by Lajevic when the crowd was starting to come to life was was a masterclass in keeping your nerve. I, I got into the car uh, just when it was, I think he was sort of 6-5 down and he was struggling to hold on in that set, Edmund. And, and by the time I got home, five to ten minutes later, it was over. On the subject of that forehand, David, I mean, I know it's easy to get wrapped up in hyperbole. He had a fantastic tie. He is still, you know, where he is in the world. He's he's on the rise, though, without question, you know, and the uh, the extent of his potential, I think, remains to be seen. But just on the subject of that forehand, is there a bigger forehand on the tour at the moment? On the evidence of what I saw yesterday, I mean, he did admit to uh, to Russell Fuller, uh, pretty much in his his post match interview with him that that is the hardest he has ever hit his forehand in a match situation. He said he tries to practice hitting it that hard because you can't go into a match situation and try out something that you haven't in practice. But on the evidence of yesterday and that match against Dusan Lajevic, is there a bigger forehand on tour at the moment? I, I would say the most certainly is. I think there are bigger shots than that, and the the, the way I would justify that. That view is that when he played against Thomas Burdick earlier this year, when we were also bigging up the Carl Edmund forehand, particularly after the way he dismissed Andy Murray in the tiebreak tens final at the Royal Albert Hall at the end of last year, when he then faced Burdick, who was just like a bigger, stronger version of himself, you then saw the limitations, certainly in terms of his development. So I, I think he's moved on from there. I think on clay it is a very big shot, but I think it's a big shot when you have two players who are, who are kind of feeding that shot without one of their own. I think if you stuck another one up there of that level, that would be another test for it. I, I think that's true. I don't think it's necessarily the best forehand, but in terms of just explosion and producing power, I guess it's because, as as you were describing, he doesn't look like somebody that's going to have an absolute monster of a shot. He isn't a particularly intimidating presence on the court. And then that forehand comes out, and you just think, where on earth has that come from? In terms of sort of well, explosive like, like, power, um... I find it incredible. And I do think, you know, I watched that match live with Burdick in Doha earlier this year, and for me, Kyle Edmund is... I remember we did a podcast after that and, and I, I, at the time I said I spoke to Kyle afterwards and, and he already had a furrowed brow and was thinking, how can I learn from this? How can I learn from this? Well, boy, has he learned from it because he looked a different player yesterday. And yes, you're right. The conditions all played into his hands. He is a different animal on clay. And to be fair, exactly as you just described, Lajevic was at times feeding the forehand. It wasn't particularly smart play, I don't think, from Lajevic. But nonetheless, sort of in a vacuum, that forehand is is an immense shot. It's quite similar to the other player we'll end up talking about as part of the Davis Cup roundup here, which is Jack Sock. That extraordinary arm speed, that liveliness of the arm. Kyrgios has got it as well, that that feeling that they're whiplashing through the ball, putting extraordinary rotation on it. Um, I, I kind of feel as though 
Edmonds is is maybe one of the most reliable of those types of of shots. He he doesn't feel like he's going to top edge that many. Uh, I I think it does have limitations in that we saw it on at Wimbledon and he struggled against Manorino, who was playing those sort of flat, low, angled balls to him. I I think Grass may 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 provide him with challenges in that way, but you know stick him on 75% of the the surfaces on the tennis circuit and 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 it's a formidable weapon it's you know you're going to be seeing a lot of that for the next 10 years well he did very very well Kyle Edmund he contributed two wins of course the doubles boys did very well as well Jamie Murray and Dominglot they deserve a mention uh, but a big team effort to produce a Davis Cup quarterfinal victory without Andy Murray, which is incredibly significant. Yes, we'll come on to the fact that he was there and how impressive it was for him for him to be there and to participate in the team spirit, the team mentality, something which many people were reporting seemed to be missing from the Serbian team. But it is incredibly significant, I think, and important, actually, for this GB Davis Cup team. If it is a Davis Cup team that goes on to win other Davis Cup titles, you know, they've made their intent clear. They don't want to be a flash-in-the-pan Davis Cup winning team. And I think for that to be the case, this was a really important victory to show that they can do this without Andy Murray and that they do now have some depth and they really do you know Dan Evans top 100 player well inside the top 100 now after his Wimbledon showing was injured they did it without him as well you know this for me is quite important for this GB team one of its biggest wins I would say Uh, obviously the the final last year everybody will remember because it never happened in our lifetime so it had it uh, for Great Britain to have done that but as you said this was a bit like the Russia tie when Britain won the tie from two down on that occasion without Andy Murray available. This was their first world group victory without an Andy Murray in the team since 1986, 30 years. Andy Murray wasn't even born. Tim Hemman and Greg Rizetsky couldn't manage this, even when they were at the peak of their powers, to win a world group tie. And that's what Edmund and Ward, okay, maybe not his greatest weekend, but he was there. He put his hand up. He was out there slogging his guts out. And obviously the the excellent doubles team of Inglot and Murray, that's what they were able to do. It, it, it's a major, major result and another example of the captaincy of Leon Smith, who has won 14 out of 16 ties that he's presided over. I mean, that's an extraordinary record. And a word from you on the fact that Andy Murray... Was that was there doing his bit, if not on the court, then certainly off it. And on the fact that, of course, Djokovic and, it must be said, Troitsky weren't, and, and the sort of reports, suggestions we've heard that, that morale was not the best, by contrast, in the Serbian team. I, I do find it amazing that Murray did that. I, I think he never really ceases to surprise us within the media who, you know, you, you'd, you'd kind of think we'd have a pretty decent handle on what the guy might do, given that we, we follow his every move. And yet he still surprises us virtually every month, it seems. And this was another one of those. I mean, I I did think when we were going through Wimbledon, I, I still thought he might play. And then it got so, obviously him getting to the final, then when you look at the actual turnaround and consider the surfaces that we're talking about here, from grass to clay and the trouble that gives him and all the rest that's on the horizon, it was a sensible move not to play in that, in that wider scheme of things. And obviously it's all sort of played out as as they would have hoped because Britain have won anyway. But to then say, you know, I've just had two of the most gruelling weeks of my career following a win, the fifth title victory at the Aegon Championships at Queen's, following reaching the final of the French Open for the first time, 
when you've got a, a a baby that is what six months old and you say to your team i am going to be there i'm going to be there in your corner how must that make them feel that's how important they are to him and i find that really something i'm not going to sit here and have a go at novak Djokovic or um, troitsky i don't know what his story is the reason i wouldn't have a go at uh, uh, Djokovic is frankly he's done what the vast majority do which is win Davis Cup tick that box and say right that's kind of that and I'll play sporadically when I can just like Federer did for all those years he he played the first round made sure that Switzerland were in the world group then took his chance to win the Davis Cup and then basically backed it again and I'm sure he'll pop up again maybe from time to time that's what most players do I don't want to criticise them. What I do want to do is just, frankly, take the hat off to, to, to Andy Murray because I'm not sure I'd have done that. I think that that's, that's an amazing show of solidarity and, and teamwork for, for, for his group. I couldn't agree with you more, David. And GB's reward, Andy Murray, Kyle Edmund, James Ward, Dan Evans, Dominglot, Jamie Murray, Leon Smith, their reward is now another semi-final at home to Argentina. Now, Argentina did fantastically to beat Italy. At home, Italy were. And in terms of players that play above themselves, that rise to the Davis Cup occasion, I think Federico Del Bonis has to be put in the top bracket. Because uh, he beat Andrea Seppi and Fabio Fognini uh, in that tie. Um, it was 3-1 in the end. Uh, they didn't play the decide- They didn't play the final rubber. Uh, Argentina's uh, won the doubles and Fabio Fognini got one sole victory for the Italians over one Monaco in the singles. But yeah, Federico Del Bonis, what a fantastic servant he is uh, for Argentina's Davis Cup team. They will now come and play Great Britain in a semi-final third week in September. Where's it going to be, David? What surface is it going to be on? Who's going to play? Yeah, good question. Uh, first of all, I, I couldn't agree more. Del Bonis, what a year he's having. He, of course, beat Andy Murray as well earlier this year and the rest of their team as well. To to go to Italy, this is something, let's not forget, that Great Britain tried to do and it's one of Leon Smith's two defeats as captain and that was with Andy Murray in the team and they could not beat Italy away. They came close, they were 2-1 up. Argentina did it uh, and I think that that is a fantastic achievement. It's going to be interesting now. It's going to be September the 18th to the 20th, I believe, the uh, the semi-final. It comes three days after Andy Murray live, the uh, the exhibition that he's putting on in Scotland. So whether they will in some way try to find a tie-up there and be able to stay up there and play the, the tie, I'm sure there would be an amazing atmosphere. If they did, that's at the Hydro, is the exhibition. Um, but... Obviously, the Birmingham tie went pretty well. Uh, the, there's Manchester that might have its hand in the air. Very difficult to know which location they'll go for. I'd be very surprised, personally, if it wasn't a fast as fast as they can make it indoor surface. Not um, grass? I think, I think the only way you could play grass with any degree of confidence weather-wise is to, is to stick it under the roof at Wimbledon. Um, Do you think that would I'm be not... on, on the table in the conversation, at least in terms of venues? I'd personally be surprised... I'd personally be surprised. I mean, I'm sure it'll get covered in the conversation, um, but I, I just think that they've done so well indoors um, in various parts of the country. I'd be surprised if they didn't go back to that, given that they beat last year the United States and Australia, Australia in those exact conditions, and of course Japan this year. I think these, and actually, you know, if you think about Edmund, I think he's going to play better. 
indoors myself uh, where there's where you've got that sort of reliable surface and and his forehand can get through through it and obviously you've also got the option of dan evans too so i i'd i'd expect them to go that route well as and when uh, that gets decided and announced, we'll, of course, uh, discuss it here on the podcast. The other semi-final will be, be between France, David. France, who beat uh, the Czech Republic 3-1. Uh, fantastic uh, results by Luca Puy. He really came through. Songa beat uh, Vesely. Two defeats for Vesely, uh, in fact. And, of course, they won that doubles with the, the strongest doubles team in the world right now, Herbert and Mo beating Russell and Stepanek. Russell did score a fantastic five-set victory over Songa, it has to be said to get Czech Republic's one victory in that, but a strong win for France. Now they will take on, David, Croatia, who performed a quite remarkable comeback from two rubbers to nil down uh, after the Friday night to defeat the USA. And I'm just going to let you go on this. You just wax <laughs> lyrical as much as you like. David, for anyone that doesn't know, is sort of an honorary Croatian uh, so off you go, David. Well, uh, first of all, the United States, to put this achievement of, of the comeback of Croatia into perspective, they, I think, the United States, were 157 wins and three defeats over the course of history when they were 2-0 up in the Davis Cup. So this is only the fourth time it's ever happened. And the way those first two rubbers went with a, a resounding win for Isner over Borna Choric, a comeback win for... Jack Sock from two sets to love down against Marin Cilic. So it happened basically again to Cilic within the space of a week after the Federer defeat. And, I mean, really, that looked to be it because really Croatia would have expected to at least have got one point out of those two. And then you go into a doubles match with the Bryan brothers. It doesn't feel too good, does it, for, a, for a, a team on the end of that? And they decided to draft in Cilic for the doubles. That wasn't the initial plan, I don't think. And he, so he played the doubles. They won that, did Croatia. And then I saw both of the reverse singles last night. And and the, the standard of tennis of Isner in the first set was, was really something. He was winning more points against Cilic, but he just couldn't get the break. So often is the, that is the case with him, of course. In the tiebreak, it was a it was a cracking tiebreak. It was eleven nine, I think, to, to Chilich in the end. And after that, it really was all Chilich, and it was it was U.S. Open winning Marin Chilich. Um, I tell you, if that guy starts to play tennis like this over the next six weeks, he he could win some big titles. The the whether it's the Olympics, whether it's one of the Masters Series events, whether it's the U.S. Open in him itself, I, I'd be very surprised if he if he's producing that level of tennis if he doesn't win one of those titles. Um, the the big surprise to me was once he'd levelled it at two all, Jack Sock going into a match against Borna Choric, who frankly hasn't been in the greatest of form this year. I think he's actually less than fifty fifty for for wins this year. And he he was psyched up beyond belief when he came out, Borna Choric. I, I, I'm trying to think of, of players who move better than him. And, and really, there's really, I'd say there's only Nadal, Djokovic and Murray that, that maybe move better than him. And, and I think that that got inside Jack Sock's head. Sock looked tight from the very first ball. I think he, he I don't think he expected to be playing. I do not think he expected to be playing on Sunday. And I think that that must have been. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In a shock to the system when he started to, they probably had the feet up a bit on Sunday even if not de- on Saturday rather even if not deliberately oh we're 2-0 up now it's the Bryan brothers go and finish the job and it didn't happen it just shows how hard it is to to then gather yourself and win a fifth a fifth rubber um, so an amazing comeback for, for Croatia huge blow to the United States having beaten I think it was Australia in the first round wasn't it in Australia it was and to to have then lost this one I mean Jim Courier no longer wearing the suit he was there doing doing what he could I'm I can't imagine how he must have felt speaking to to, to Jack Sock and and not being able to get out of him the sort of performance that I think he would have been able to produce himself in the in that very same situation so yeah, back to the drawing board for the United States, but that's a huge win for for Croatia. And, and you know what? You could make a case. I I, I don't I don't see Argentina be, beating Britain personally, if, if particularly if Murray plays. But you could you could make a strong case for either Croatia or France. Crikey, David, who do you support in a GB Croatia final? I don't support anybody, Catherine Whitaker. I'm a commentator who will just call it as I see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Completely neutral. You're like Switzerland. Yeah, that's me. But, I, yeah, I, I look, it's, I do have a soft spot for, for Croatia uh, in terms of family members and, and friends and so forth. But um, but even so, it was it was a, just a great occasion. I really enjoyed it. It was the video. Uh, if, if you didn't have a chance to watch the tie, then just try and catch the video of Borna Chor- of Match Point and Borna Choric's celebrations uh, in the moments uh, in the immediate aftermath of victory because they're quite something and uh, a fabulous advertisement for the Davis Cup. I mean, in fact, I think this whole weekend has been particularly seeing 
the young players being the match winners. You know, Luka Puy for France, Borna Choric for, for Croatia and Kyle Edmund uh, for Great Britain. You know, Davis Cup can make, well, we've of course seen it break young players as well. But uh, yeah, it, it, some really fantastic scenes uh, all around. Can I just say as well, Catherine, I mean, I think let's not let's not avoid the fact either that there were some significant withdrawals from the Davis Cup in this round of play. Obviously, Andy Murray went, but he didn't play. Uh, Novak Djokovic didn't play. The, the event has got its issues at the moment because of of these withdrawals and it's been like that for a while um i I do feel that people are getting perhaps a little too sniffy about that fact though and 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 trying to take away too much from the achievements of some of these players you you can only beat who's in front of you fields get depleted in grand slams yes it's a shame that the people are withdrawing and yes i think that the davis cup needs to do something to to try to improve its format so that those withdrawals are reduced but still those those were great weekends on a certain level and 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 excellent achievements too very well said david Uh, there have been other things happening in tennis this week a few other notable announcements bits of news first and foremost david victoria azarenka we're not going to be seeing her on the tour for a while because she is pregnant she's expecting her first baby in november how long exactly she'll be out for we don't know i'm sure she doesn't know she has fully stated her intention to come back at some stage i'm sure um once uh, she does feel ready to come back, she will be uh, looking to, if not calling up Kim Clijsters uh, to seek some advice from her, because she, of course, is the model for some for a tennis player to have uh, had children and to have come back, uh, well, come back even stronger in the case of Kim Clijsters. I mean, there's not much to say. Obviously, very happy for her. She's delighted by the news. It's all great. It's a shame for tennis, I think, because uh, I think. Victoria Azarenka is great for women's tennis. She's a very genuine challenger to Serena Williams, and that's a really good thing. I think possibly even Serena would see that as a good thing. So it'll just be a shame for women's tennis, I think, that she won't be around for a while. But I fully expect her, as she says she intends, to come back and to come back pretty strong. You know, if you you look at it from the Roger Federer perspective of you have a finite canister of tennis playing career, you know, I suppose she's just preserving some of the canister for later on in her career. I mean, who knows? Who knows how it'll end up? But I, I, I don't doubt that if she feels so inclined, she can come back to somewhere near the top. First of all, Catherine, can I just say canister is now a favourite word of ATP Tour supervisor and long-time chair umpire Lars Graf. Every time I see him, he comes up to me and says, canister. Well, you know it's what? sort it, of my yeah. favourite word as well. If you notice, I've been trying to work it into as many fav- many podcasts as possible. It's a great yeah. word. I don't really know how to use it, to be honest, Lars, but you, you seem to be using it all the time. And uh, and thanks for listening to the Tennis Podcast. That's all I can say. A regular uh, is Lars Graf. Uh, but on the subject of Victoria Azarenka being pregnant, congratulations to her. Fantastic news. She She's clearly delighted, uh, stated so on, on, on social media. It is a shame in terms of what was building in the tennis world, in terms of of her re-emergence as a major force, which was happening at the start of this year with those back-to-back wins in Indian Wells and Miami. But this is life, isn't it? And and, um, and fantastic news for her. And yeah, hope she comes back as well. 
couple of other bits of business before I hand over the Twitter reins to you, David. That feels like it's a quite 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 dangerous thing to do. I know there'll be some polls in there, but you know, uh, just a couple of other bits of business before I do that. Ivo Karlovic has become the oldest title winner for 37 years on the ATP World Tour. Uh, he beat Gilles Muller to win uh, the title in Newport. Well done him. 37 years old and five months but you know with his style of play you would expect it to be the sort of the sort of game that does age well and I don't expect him to go anywhere anytime soon and just a final slightly sad note which is we've seen some probably the most significant withdrawals we've had so far from the Olympics Milos Raonic, Thomas Burdick and Simona Halep have announced that they won't be playing the Olympics in Rio uh, citing the Zika virus as their reason now I don't doubt that the Zika virus absolutely is their reason I'm not questioning that for a moment my take on it is though that players in other sports, athletes, you know, for example, I think the best example is open, open water swimmers for whom the Olympics is the unequivocal pinnacle of their sport. And they are at the highest rate of exposure, at the greatest risk of Zika being open water swimmers. It is, it's not a purely waterborne disease, but I understand that it is more easily contracted if you are in contact uh, with water. Uh, none of them have withdrawn, and and I'm I'm sort of loath to quote Rory McIlroy because I'm I'm disappointed in him for not playing the Olympics. However, in his in his explanation of not playing, he said it's as simple as risk and reward, and the risk of Zika doesn't it outweighs the reward of winning the Olympics. And I think that's just what it comes down to. The decision has been made on the basis of the risks of the Zika virus, which I completely respect. However, were the reward considered that bit greater? And I'm not, I do think it is considered a great, great reward, an Olympic gold medal, and it's growing in stature all the time. I do see this as a slightly backward step in terms of that stature in London, the Olympics, Andy Murray winning and what that propelled him on to do. That, for me, felt like the huge turning point for Olympic tennis, the moment that it did stand alongside Grand Slams. And for me, this is just a slight backward step, and that's a shame. They are extraordinary circumstances, but for me, it can't help but be an indication that they just don't see that reward as quite great enough when stacked up against the risk yeah i'd i'd say that's uh that's probably about right and um i i think it is also it also points to the the problems of the tennis calendar in trying to cram the the olympics in with everything else particularly it is when it is not necessarily right down the road from from wherever they they happen to be playing there are other events i mean some some of these events are going to suffer no matter what there are going to be withdrawals from toronto i i read uh, a tweet yesterday saying that jamie delgado was talking about andy murray practicing in mallorca next week which would suggest that that toronto may may not happen for him other players are going to pull out from Cincinnati. I, I do feel that that some players probably are going to look at the Olympics and think, well, given that risk, and it, and it is a bit scary to us, is it worth it? And and some will decide that it is because it's it's maybe the the last remaining. Uh, 
achievement for them in their career or something they really want to do and they'll just they'll just suck it up and do it anyway and hope for the best and take all precautions that they can but it is a shame I, I do think it is a small backward step in, in tennis and look it may get worse there may be there may be a lot more withdrawals yet there may be I certainly hope there aren't but you know we have to respect individual athletes decisions uh, and it's just a shame is the bottom line it's just a shame but uh, hopefully enough of the top players will play that it will still be a very uh, significant and interesting event that is it for sort of news David for tennis news but I believe you've been uh, pretty active on Twitter this week do you want to bring us an update of what people have been saying would you like me Catherine to take you into the pole vault oh my goodness absolutely not is the answer to that well, you're in it, you're in it, and it's our new section on the no, Tennis it's Podcast. Not. Catherine Whittaker's only just discovered that we have something on the Tennis Podcast called the Pole Vault. Here it is. Uh, so I asked this everybody on This is an ambush, Twitter, David. This is, this is an is, ambush. It is, yeah, and now you can't get out of it because uh, everybody is, is witnessing, and there are many thousands that listen to the Tennis Podcast every week, and they're all up for it now, except you. Anyway, I asked uh, on Twitter, at Tennis Podcast, at the start of the week, just after Andy Murray had one the Wimbledon title, I asked Andy Murray, or I said Andy Murray will be world number one either by the end of 2016, by the end of 2017, later or never. Which one are you going for, Catherine? Uh, I think he will get there. I'm not sure how long he'll stay there for. I think he might sneak in for a few weeks at some stage. It's just, for me, it's between by the end of 2017 and late. I'll go for by the end of 2017. There we go. Well, you are with the majority, Catherine, because 43% have said exactly that. 11% think he'll do it this year. 13% think he'll do it after 2017. And 33% think he will never do it. I think he'll do it next year. Personally, I think the way the... uh, the points are stacking up and and I think he's about 900 points behind Novak Djokovic on the year race to London just at the moment. So that suggests that he's not too far away um, and we still have the Olympics to come. We still have, although there's no, it's not about ranking points obviously there, we still have the US Open to come. We still have the Tour Finals and, and other major events as well. But I, I think there is a there's a feeling of consistency about Murray right now in, in everything he does, in his game, in his mentality. And obviously he's got to stay fit. But I think he's about to have, may well be the, the strongest period of his career right now. I, in fact, I do. I think that's what's going to happen. Anyway, I don't, I don't disagree. I certainly question the 11% that think it could happen this year because I think um, mathematically... Djokovic would sort of have to not play for most of the rest of the year for it for it to happen this year. I, plus, I really... plus, we've got the Davis Cup now that Andy Murray is likely to play in September, and and I think he's going to have to withdraw from something in order to make way for the Olympics too. So, um, no, I, I agree. I think this this year will come too soon. Um, I've also been asking Catherine Whitaker by the end of 2018, the following player will have won a Grand Slam tournament. Kyrgios, Zverev, both or neither? What do you think? So by the end of 2018, so that's two and a half years away. Uh, the horse I'm backing out of those most strongly is Zverev. I think he's a future number one. Uh, I see Kyrgios as a Safin type. I think he will potentially win a slam or two. I don't see him having the consistency unless something really significant changes. Um I mean, look, he could come out and win the US Open. 
this year he could so this isn't this is where i stand you, you mentioned safin i'd agree with the comparison i think therefore it is more likely that kyrgios wins a slam in the next two and a half years than zverev yeah it well it, i suppose on the basis of my own logic <laughs> that is true i just don't necessarily think i, I want to predict that i i think by the end of 2018 might be just a bit too soon for Zverev I think sort of 2019 is going to be his year I think by 2019 he might be in Djokovic type domination so which one are you going for then Uh, which one am I going for I'll go on then I'll go for Kyrgios lest I contradict my own logic I enjoy it when you when you end up contradicting yourself after I've had my say perfect anyway I I totally agree Kyrgios anyway uh, I've got some more uh, entries into the pole vault everybody you'll be pleased to know um Andy Murray fans, your man can win one more thing this year. Which one are you going to choose? Now, Catherine, you can't answer this because he's not your he's not your player as such. This is one for the fans of these specific players. I just thought you'd be interested to hear this. If 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 Andy Murray fans could choose Andy Murray to win the Davis Cup, Olympic gold, or the US Open this year, which one would they go for? Which one do you think they would go for, Catherine? I think it has to be the US Open. Yeah, 69% went for the US Open, 26% went for Olympic gold, just 5% went for the Davis Cup, although I should say that that was registered before the quarterfinal. I asked the same thing of Novak Djokovic fans. What do you think, Olympic gold or the US Open? Which one are Djokovic fans most wanting their player to win this year? Oh, that's significantly tougher. I'm going to go Olympic gold. Yeah, 64% said Olympic gold, and there were hundreds of people entering this. 36% said the US Open. And Roger Federer fans, Olympic gold. Or the US Open. 663 votes for this one. Which one do you think Federer fans have gone for? US Open. US just, Open, for just sure. 52%. Because just. Roger Federer has never won a singles Olympic gold, let's not forget. I'm I'm aware of that. And I think both both pretty high on the Roger Federer wish list. Uh, but I, it has to be about racking up the Grand Slam talent. It has to be, you know, the whole narrative with Federer has been the one more slam, hasn't it, for four years now. I think it has to be the US Open. Well, it was. 52% said the US Open, 48% went Olympic gold, but frankly, they'd have both. That's just fine. Uh, Now, a couple of questions to finish off. We asked uh, for them and we had loads, but here's just a couple. Let's see what Catherine thinks. Uh, Do you think, Hugo says, do you think Raonic will make multiple slam finals? How big is his window? I think, Catherine Whitaker, that he will make multiple slam finals. No question. Well, He's already won one. He only needs to win one more. I think he'll win. Sorry, I think he'll reach three or four more at least. Well, he only has to reach one more to have reached multiple slam finals. And I certainly think he will reach at least one more grand slam final. So, yes, is the answer. I think he'll reach a few more. OK. Lynn says, do you agree with Jamie Baker, the former British player, that Andy Murray's next priority is doubles gold with Jamie? That's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, imagine how much he would enjoy that. I certainly think it is a major, major priority for Andy Murray. I don't, I don't, it'd be a really difficult one if you offered Andy US Open or doubles with Jamie, because obviously you know, there's the whole... I mean, that's an impossible... That's Sophie's choice, isn't it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I even mentioned that, because that's you've got your brother's happiness def- depending on your decision as well. So I'll... I'll park that one, but I will agree with Jamie Baker that I think that is a massive target for Andy Murray. I think it was gutting for them to lose first round in London. I know that was during the the, the Jamie Murray wilderness years, um, and it's a very different story now. And they're a very very well worn doubles team now. I think, I th- yeah, I think it's a huge goal for both of them. 
I agree. Thomas Bartley just finally says, will Simona Halep finally cross the large hurdle of winning a Grand Slam title? I find this interesting because I think if we went back 15 months, I think we did a did a show where we, we asked this question and I'm pretty sure I said that Simona Halep would win a Grand Slam title within two years. So I think we're going back 15 months. I'm really not confident that she will i think she has the ability both at the australian and uh, the u.s open if if she gets a bit of luck and serena isn't in the way and so forth but she isn't as convincing to me right now as she was just over a year ago i agree i sort of always just assumed that she would until perhaps two or three months ago it started to occur to me that maybe she wouldn't and that maybe she was going backwards a bit you know becoming a player that that reaches quarterfinals but doesn't necessarily push on. Um, I think Darren Cahill could be the difference maker here. I, I I do think she's improved and I think if he can get her over that enormous mental hurdle and, and frankly, the longer it goes on without her winning one, that mental baggage will grow. So he has got a task on his hands, Darren Cahill, but I do think he could be what makes the difference and gets her over the line. I agree. So, Catherine, there we are. That's it. We'll be back in the pole vault next week. Subject to discussion between the two presenters. We have been The Tennis Podcast. We've been brought to you in association with The Telegraph and we'll be back next week. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 